This morning we're going to read from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it and labor, build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that we can gather this morning. Thank you that we can come to you. Thank you that we can lay aside all of our busy pursuits. And I thank you for this word this morning. We work so hard and we think about what we need to do and we're anxious about things. And you tell us we, you're going to handle it. And we think about prayer later. Lord, help us trust you. Help us come to you. Let us realize everything we have is from you and nothing we have is from, from us. But it all is a gift from you. Lord, I thank you for this church and how you have built it up. For Just pray that your continued uh, blessings on it um, as we um, look about going forward with the uncertainty of not having uh, Robert here, that uh, we would... Uh, just learn to lean in and trust you and grow in a mighty way. And we pray for Robert and Melanie as they embark on a new chapter, that uh, you would continue to bless that, um, continue the fruitful ministry that they've had. Um, Lord, I thank you that it's Father's Day, and I thank you for all the fathers here. The just ask you to give the fathers grace and uh, wisdom and patience, and everything they need to uh, to raise up the next generation. And Lord, I pray for the relationship with, with our fathers. Um, some are good, some are tough. Uh, I would just ask that you would, just across all of them, just continue to, to build those relationships, strengthen them, uh, maybe maybe form those bonds anew, uh, that you would bring your, your love and healing and forgiveness into that, that those relationships may be um, glorifying to you. Now we pray for the reading of the word today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Laura Lee and Steve. Um, this seems like a big sermon. It's kind of a big moment. Um, and if uh, some of you aren't aware, it is a big week, and you hear... JD saying it's been a big, big week for our church. You're wondering who died, and uh, a couple of people have died. I mean, um, JD lost an aunt. I lost a mentor this week. Um, it's been a sobering week uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, but in addition to those things, um, I resigned as the pastor of Mercy House, and that is effective at the end of August. Um, and I, I want you to know that being your pastor has been a high honor. And that is 
the people in this room that I've been able to pastor, but many, many others <laughs> who have come through these doors, literally hundreds that have come in and been sent out. It has been a high honor. And it's also been an honor to be surrogate dad for a lot of you. And so Father's Day for me is it's a pretty big deal because I hear back from not only my own kids, who I love very much, but I hear from a lot of my spiritual kids. And so that too has been a really high honor um, in these last you know, 22 years. Um, there's no easy way to leave a church that you've planted. And it's even harder if you stayed around 22 years after planting the church. Um, and so Melanie and I, we've grieved over this decision. We knew when we came back from sabbatical that the Lord was saying, you know, it's time, it's time. And we thought, you know, five, maybe a five-year window. We even communicated that at, at a uh, church summit, you know, and just said, we, we think, we're not sure. Um, but the more that we've, we've prayed and considered and sought the Lord, just sensed it, it, it's time. And we do have some other opportunities we're looking at. We, we, we can't really talk about those yet because they're not concrete. And we had hoped to say, okay, here's where we're going. But we just felt like we needed to, to trust the Lord and His timing. Um, and so this is, this is what we've done. And you, you've got great staff and elders. They have supported us through this and loved us. Um, staff and I spent three days on a retreat just grieving, celebrating, praying, um, praying for all of you, asking the Lord to do something significant in this uh, transition. Um, and I, I want you to, to encourage you to rally around those leaders. They're going to they're gonna need your encouragement. They're going to need your support. They're going to need your cooperation. Um, I think transitions like this can either be a, a, a catalyst for uh, negative things or a catalyst for some really amazing changes and growth. And that's my prayer, is that that's what would happen in this town. Um, I have much hope uh, for the future of Mercy House. And it's not because you guys are so amazing. It's because God built this house and He's going to keep building this house. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Psalm 127, which I had no idea that this Sunday would be this kind of you know, poignant, but man, this text is so perfect. The Lord really knew this would be a great text for us. And so it really helps us understand how uh, God builds His house, both uh, biological family, but also the spiritual family. And uh, this, these first two verses describe the building and the protecting of God's house. Uh, verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for He gives to His beloved sleep. 
It makes sense when you build something that you then want to protect it. When you don't own stuff, you don't have anything to protect. But if you build something, you got to protect it. When I was a college student, I was living in a rental house. It was an amazing house. It was so amazing that it was featured in the Austin American Statesman as an architectural kind of example of innovative design. It was way too beautiful for three sloppy college guys to be living in. But one of my roommates uh, had an aunt and uncle that had some resources, and they bought that house. And then they asked us to live in it. And so we lived in it for like two years. I mean, it's amazing. It had a hot tub on the back deck, wooded area around it. I mean, this is like party house. It was amazing. It was amazing. And one day they made a surprise inspection. Now, I shared a bathroom with my roommate, Kevin, and Kevin and I weren't the best at keeping the bathroom clean. And the shower didn't just have mold on it, it had fuzzy mold. And Aunt Claire came in there, and she looked at that mold, and she was livid. Now, I happened to not be there when she came for a surprise inspection. And I got a phone call, and she said, I need you to be here right now. And so I show up, she's got fire in her eyes, and she's looking at me, and she says, I don't know what you and your friend Kevin have been doing, but you've got to fix this right now, right? And I'm thinking, what's the big deal? Because I don't own the place, but Claire owns the place, right? Claire owns the place. And so this, this house, she didn't necessarily build it, but she owned it. And she wanted to protect it. Now, who's doing the building and the protecting here in Psalm 127? Is it the Lord or is it humans? And the answer is yes. It's the Lord and it's the humans. Unless the Lord builds the house, but then it speaks of those who build it. Unless the Lord watches over the city, then it speaks of the watchmen who stay awake. It's describing a situation whereby somehow God is co-laboring with human beings to build and protect the house. Isn't that amazing? And it's saying that it is possible for human beings to seek to build and protect something and not do it as a co-laborer with God. And if you try to build and protect something apart from God, that is vain. That is vanity. Now, those of you that were with us in the Ecclesiastes sermon series, you heard that, that word so many times, right? And we, we, you know, most of you can tell us the Hebrew word is hevel. That's not the word here being translated. It's a, it's a more boring word. I mean, hevel is like so poetic, and it makes sense for Ecclesiastes. But, but here is this word shav, and it, it means some similar things to hevel. It means empty, worthless, false. And so it's saying if you try to build and protect this house apart from God, it will be empty, it will be worthless, it will be false. Jesus talked in similar terms. Luke 9, verses 24-25, I've read this to you many times. For whoever would save his life will lose it, 
But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Another way to say it is, what do you gain if you build your life apart from God? Answer, nothing. Not one thing. If you seek to build your life apart from God, you get nothing. I mean, think about how much labor would you have to put in to gain the whole world? That's a lot of labor. And so you labor and you protect what you've gotten and then you invest that and you get some more and you protect that and you keep going and going and going until you've labored and protected to the point that you gain the whole world. I mean, we don't have anybody owning the whole world, but but we have some sort of whole world kinds of business people, do we not? Elon Musk, you know, $152 billion. Bill Gates, $127 billion. Jeff Bezos, $195 billion. And it's saying, you know, those, those, those guys brought all that cash, that $500 billion. They're standing before Christ at the end of all days. They're like, look at that, Jesus. I got $500 billion. What do you say to that? And if it's done apart from God, Jesus is like, that's nothing. That is nothing. But that same truth is true for the nurse that builds a life apart from God. The teacher that builds their life apart from God. The pastor that builds their life apart from God. It's vain. It's vain. It's empty. It's worthless. Now, it's also possible... For humans to co-labor with God and to build and protect with God. (laughs) This has been God's design from the first chapter of the Bible. And think about this, Genesis 1, verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then a few verses later, he says the exact same thing again. From, from day one, he is inviting humans to be his, his viceroys, his representative rulers, to have dominion over the world. And does that mean that God doesn't have dominion over the world? No, he has ultimate dominion over the world. But he shares that rule and reign with representative rulers, human beings. And he continues to do that even after sin enters into the world. He invites Noah to build an ark to save a small remnant of humanity. He invites Abraham and Sarah to build a family by having a baby in their old age. He calls Moses and later Joshua to bring his people out of Egypt through the wilderness wanderings and into the promised land. He commissions Ruth and Boaz to have a baby and raise that baby to love God, to then pass that down to the next baby and the next baby, David, (laughs) who he himself commissioned and crowned by God to build a kingdom that would prefigure 
the kingdom of the Messiah. This is, this is God's way of co-laboring with human beings like you and me. It is, it is possible to build and to protect in a way that's a partnership with God. Now, look at the, how the psalm describes the human partnership in Psalm 127, verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies and the gate. Now, there are certainly many ways to partner with God. I mean, creating, innovating, contributing in ways to the world that contributes to human thriving. All, the, all these things are ways to image bear and to, and to cooperate in partnership with God, and they're all good. But this psalmist is talking about one particular way, and it's about children. It's about children. He tells us in these verses that children are a gift from God, that children are to be sent into battle, that uh, because children are a gift from God and are sent into battle, the more children, the better. The more children, the better. I'm really glad we have kids in, the, in these services because it seems so appropriate as we preach this stuff. So number one, children are a gift from God, right? Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. They're, they're from the Lord. The fruit of the womb, a reward. Now your first inclination is to say, wow, that's an ancient context. Come on. And you're right. You're right. There's some truth to that. It's an agricultural setting. You need a lot of kids to work your farm or whatever it is that you do in the ancient world. There's no police force. There's no retirement plan. And so your police force and your retirement plan are your kids. And so you need to have a lot of kids to survive. And people typically didn't move away. They stayed with their families. They did the thing that their parents did and their parents before them. And so, yes, it's, it's an ancient world context. It's definitely some, some things here. But even in modern societies, it's really hard to thrive if you don't have a good, strong birth rate. European countries right now are really struggling. It, 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 because their birth rate is so low, they don't have enough workers to pay taxes to take care of the old people. And so this is part of why they've opened up their borders in some ways to immigrants, because immigrants are having babies, and they're bringing in laborers to work in the economy so that those countries can stay alive. Even China has, has changed their one-child policy to a two-child policy. They're realizing that the low birth rate, is, it's, it's not causing their, their country to thrive, even in a modern context. Making babies and raising those babies is good. It is good for the world. I know that sounds strange with all the uh, population control conversations, and certainly making babies and then not raising the babies is bad. Okay? Like, that doesn't help. 
It, that sucks resources out of society. But I'm telling you, you make babies and you raise those babies in a, in a way that's going to help them be fully formed adults. That is a blessing to the world. And this is what we see in the Scripture. Now, these children that are a gift from God, they are to be sent out into battle, right? Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. We've already been made aware in the psalm that they're in a world at war, right? Why is there a city uh, wall around where the house is? Why are there watchmen on the wall watching to protect? It's because there's enemies. There's attack that's occurring. Everyone is born into a world at war. We're warring against the sin that lives within us, the, the system of the world, and Satan himself. This is a world at war, and God could completely, completely have victory over those enemies with one little pinky finger. Read Revelation. I mean, that's what you see in Revelation. You have this all big build up to this big cataclysmic like battle, and then it, one verse, oh, and God just got rid of them, just took care of it, right? So he's, he can do it. But in this time where we are right now in redemptive history, he's inviting us to join him, to co-labor with him in the war, in the battle. And this is in part what we see here in this passage. Now, the parent is described as a warrior who is sending out arrows. Now, th this idea of, of the child being an arrow, you've heard the phrase straight as an arrow, probably. Why, why is that a phrase even? Well, because arrows have to be straight to actually meet their target. If you've ever played around with, with a bow and arrow and your arrow got kind of, kind of bent and you tried to shoot it, I mean, it's just like, Phew! And so, so this, this idea of, of, of fully forming your, your children so that you can then send them out into the world in a way that will contribute to, to what God is doing in the world. Proverbs speaks of training a child in the way they should go, right? Not just getting them bathed and fed and in bed and college educated and employed, but training them in the way that they should go to send them out. And then you put that kid in the bow and you send them out into the world. They're only with you, parents, for a temporary time. Now, that's not, you know, a, a, an image that's communicating distance. They might move across the street. That's, that's totally fine. But, but they are being sent. There's this, that's the picture, that of sentness by the parent as they've trained them and then sent them out to engage in the battle that's out there in the world. Now, if you're not building your house with this kind of perspective, whereby you're, you're not building your house, you're building God's house. If that's not your perspective, you're building in vain. You're building in vain. The only thing on your mind is how do I get this kid to Yale? How do I make sure this kid it, it, it has safety all the time? How do I make sure this kid has all the, the, the wealth and resources they would ever dream of? If, if that's the kind of perspective, you're, you're like, that, this is how I'm building. You're building in vain. You're building in vain. Parents, you're a warrior who are, who are forming arrows to send them out into the world for God, into the battle that this world is experiencing. Now, in the Old Testament, 
that had a more concrete kind of texture to it. Um, I mean, they were building a family in the Old Testament, then they're building a nation, and then eventually they're building a kingdom, and they're kind of doing it one baby at a time, you know? Like, let's just keep having some babies, because we've got to fill up, you know, the, the family, the nation, and, and the kingdom. And they needed those people to, to work that land and, and to keep it. They needed people to fight the battles, literally. Uh, more importantly, they needed people to be worshipers of the one true God and reveal the glory of that to the nations, but there's still a mandate for us who now live in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, to make babies and raise those babies up. Ephesians 6 speaks it, it this way, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And so the mandate hasn't changed. If you're married, you still you need to have children. You don't just make the babies, right? You don't just feed them, bathe them, get them to bed, get them educated, get them employed, get them out of the house. You're training them up in the Lord. You're teaching them how by faith in the gospel, they are, are, are united with Jesus, and they walk with Jesus. That, that's what you're teaching them to do. And as you form those little arrows, you're, you're thinking, I'm, I'm going to send them out in whatever calling that God has placed on their lives. You train them to be sent. When my oldest, Corey, was a teenager, he went on a mission trip to Haiti with Young Life. Laura Lee was on this trip, and it was a very memorable trip. Uh, they got to Port-au-Prince, they flew in, got on a bus, we were going to go out of town, outside, outskirts of the city, and they were going to serve and, and have a great week, and so they get stopped at kind of an informal traffic stop, guys with machine guns standing there at, at the, the, the road. The bus driver stops, talks to the guy number one with the machine gun. Uh, they're chatting. Guy number two with the machine gun decides to pepper the side of the bus with the machine gun. And the bus driver just floors it, just get, puts it down to the, <laughs> the pedals of the metal and drives as fast as that bus could go with a guy on top of it, by the way, hanging on for dear life for about a mile and a half. It eventually stops. The bus driver had been hit by a bullet. But thankfully, the kids were safe. The Young Life leaders had to have a little conversation with each other. What are we going to do? Are we going to tell the parents now? We tell the parents later? Do we send them an email? Laura Lee sends out a little email. I'm pretty sure it's from Laura Lee. Um, hey, parents, everybody's fine. This is what happened. P please pray for us. We've got it under control. We're going to do this on our way back. And, you know, this is like trying to comfort us, but as a parent, it's pretty scary. And so, thankfully, they got back to the airport fine. They, they got back to the States fine. And I, I remember just having a conversation with Corey, and he thought it was the best thing ever. <laughs> but it wasn't, it, it wasn't just because it was cool, you know, like guns and buses and, you know, people get, you know, getting shot. It was because he knew he had risked for the mission. And I looked in this, you know, teenager's eyes, 
And I knew, like, this boy, he ain't normal. <laughs> he's, he's not this, like, nominal Christian who just wants to go to church and just do nothing. He wants to be on the mission. He's a warrior. And it was one of those moments where God was just like, you, you, you formed this kid. You formed this kid. You and Melanie have formed this kid. And he thinks about the mission in the way that Jesus, the ultimate warrior, thinks about the mission. And it was such a powerful, powerful moment. And a scary moment. Because I'm like, well, then what's this kid going to do? You know, <laughs> Where's he going to go? How, how much is he going to uh, risk his life for the Lord? But just entrusting him. To, to the Lord as we had those conversations. Now, we're, we're called not only to just form our, our biological children, we're formed, uh, called to form our spiritual children as well. We are to form them as arrows in the hand of a warrior and send them out into the world. Jesus did this. Um, he called people to be his disciples, kind of stage one was just hang out with Jesus, just watch what Jesus did. Uh, then he would teach them some things. He'd use parables to try to help them un, you know, explain some of the harder uh, truths. And then he would move into kind of a phase two, which was training. And uh, there's some places in the scripture like Matthew 10 and Luke 10, kind of, kind of nice. They're both chapter 10. You can remember where those are. Um, but he trains them to do spiritual battle. And when they come back in Luke 10, it's actually 72 of the, the, the disciples that he's trained. They come back in Luke 10 as these kind of warriors in training. And uh, this is what happens. The 72, verse 17, returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in, in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are, sub are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Those 72 were pumped. They came back from that just little, little engagement in spiritual warfare of gospel ministry, and they come back, and they're like, man, that was awesome. And Jesus is like celebrating with them, and then he gives them a gentle correction. He's like, Hey, guys, I know you're excited that you can drive demons out. That's awesome. I mean, I saw Satan fall like lightning, so, you know, big deal. But you should really be excited that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. Like, that's why you have that authority, is because who you are by the grace of God. And then, I love this part, Jesus just bursts out in celebration of what he's just seen in these little warriors. Verse 21, in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. You revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. He's so happy that these 72 baby Christians that he's been a spiritual father to, have been sent out at least for a, a trial run of being in the battle and they've come back and they've, they've had some victories and they're excited about it and, and he is just celebrating that. They were arrows in Jesus' hand and he sent those arrows out into the battle. We have done a lot of this here at Mercy House. So many baby Christians. Some who had just been converted that came here 
And, and many that converted while they were here, seeing them get the basics of the gospel, seeing them get the basics of discipleship, seeing them have a safe place where they can try on their gifts, go out in the battle, and then come back and lick their wounds or celebrate victories. Um, this was so like prominent in my experience of doing discipleship boot camp. We, for several years, we had what we call boot camp. And the beginning part of boot camp, I would train them how to share the gospel, how to share their testimony. And I knew, I knew what was going to happen. I knew that they were going to have opportunities to share the gospel because they were equipped. And so it, it happened every time. People would come back like week three or four of the boot camp, and they're like, you won't believe what happened, Pastor Rob. I'm like, tell me, what happened? And they're like, I shared the gospel with my roommate. I shared the gospel with my parent. I shared the gospel with this person on the street. And I'm like, that's awesome. And we just have this celebratory moment where this little warrior had picked up the gospel sword in the power of the Spirit and taken it out there and taken it to the enemy. And so we've, we've done this here in so many ways. And some of those warriors have stayed here. And they've just, they've just taken up the gospel sword right alongside the staff, the elders, and have been fighting the fight of gospel ministry. But many of them have been sent out. They've been sent out. Stephen Olo, some of you know Stephen. He was an Amherst College undergrad. Stephen's from Kenya, and he had grown up in the church. And he came thinking he was a Christian, but he really wasn't. He listened to four years of sermons. He was very faithful, coming to church. And then he graduated, decided to get a Ph.D. at UMass in mathematics. And so the summer between undergrad and grad... He's, he's walking down the bike trail, listening to sermons on, on his uh, headphones, and it just clicks. The gospel just clicks. And, and he just trusts in Christ. And then he comes back, he's like, man, I'm ready. I, I, I don't know what happened to me, but I'm ready to serve. And so he, he jumped into boot camp. He, he's learning, you know, the gospel, how, how to communicate it, and becomes a leader in this church and becomes a preacher in this church. And he had an opportunity to be a mathematics professor at Amherst College. And I'm, I'm like, I'm praying, you know, I'm like fasting. God, please let Steve stay. And Amherst College said no. But Kalamazoo College in Michigan said yes. And Steve was sent. He was sent to go be a gospel witness in Kalamazoo, Michigan at Kalamazoo College as a calculus professor who loves Jesus and knows how to share the gospel with others. So we, we want to have lots of babies, biological babies, spiritual babies, and train them out and send them out. And so this brings us to the, to the fifth, or the, to the third point here, verse 5. The more children you have, the better, right? So blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. So this passage is oftentimes jokingly referred to by Christians like full quiver. It's good to have a full quiver. And, you know, there's some speculation that's seven. 
That's a full quiver of seven arrows. You should have seven children. I don't know if this is really about, you know, how many numbers uh, to have, but it's definitely telling us that it is good to have children. It is good to raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. And the more children, the better. At the very least, Christians should lean toward having children. Okay? I know there's always a complex set of things that go into decisions about these kinds of things, but our world right now tends to go the other way. Well, children are inconvenienced, they're very expensive, I got to pay for their shoes, and then I got to pay for their college education later, and, and I just, I don't know if I want to do that. And all that's true, okay? That is true. But the, the, the Scripture seems to say, no, lean the other way. Lean toward a faith-filled embracing of children. They're good. They're good. They're a reward from the Lord. They're a heritage from the Lord. And that is certainly true of spiritual children, right? And, and so what's so interesting, one of, one of the ways to do this kind of both and is adoption. And so we've, we've got our, our friends, the Murphys here, that actually Shemaiah was a summer missionary in 2000. She spent three months here helping us uh, sow the gospel seed in this place and continue to sort of build the core that wasn't even in existence at that time. But they're here with their five boys. I'm sure you can, can see them, hear them. Um, but they have adopted all five of these kiddos. And they're pouring into them, not, not just biologically, but, but spiritually. Now, why, why do that? Um, what this passage says is so interesting, right? I mean, the, the why in the passage is that there's protection from your enemies. Have a lot of kids, it's going to protect your enemies, right? Remember, they built a house. They're trying to protect the house. There's a battle raging outside the walls. There's watchmen who are watching out for the enemies. The enemies come to the gate. Now, why do enemies come to the gate? The enemies come to a, the gate to broker a deal of surrender to those who are inside. To say, hey, if you don't want to have a bloodbath, hey, why, why don't we just make a deal? We'll take you over completely. You will surrender, and we're going to plunder your city, but you get to have your life. What do you say? Because we got all this firepower back here. And what it's describing in this psalm is the father is standing at the gate, and he's saying, you don't understand who you're dealing with. I have a full quiver and I am not afraid to use it and it says he is not put to shame at the gate <laughs> that the enemy comes to understand there's a whole lot more behind those walls than they realize and they turn tail and they run now again that's an ancient context right we have a police force I, do we really need a whole bunch of kids to protect us but again there. There are certainly parallels, right? We do have enemies. We have the enemies of sin and system and Satan. Those enemies are raging. But we also have the battle of getting the gospel to the unreached nations. That, too, is an important battle that we are in. We have nations who have not yet even gotten the Bible in their heart language yet. There is much battle to be fought. And so we raise up children, both biological and spiritual, to be sent out like arrows into the battle that is raging today. You know, one of the things that Melanie did with the kids a lot was to have them read missionary biographies. We, we wanted them to be hearing stories 
of faith-filled people willing to risk everything for the gospel. And honestly, in many ways, they were living a missionary biography as we planted this church over the last 22 years. And it has been a battle. It has been a battle. A battle to fund the church. Right? Two million dollars raised in the last 22 years from outside sources. A battle to recruit that initial core to plant the church. The battle to engage both campuses and communities. The battle to build and maintain healthy relationships inside the church, but also out there on campuses and communities. The battle to develop lay leaders, especially when people are leaving, right? They're being sent out at a high rate. The battle to buy this building. The battle to update and maintain this building. The battle to speak biblically to issues of the day, like sexuality and race and consumerism. The battle to establish a kids' ministry. A battle to build a fully functioning staff team. A battle to build an elder team with people older than 25. A battle to build a deacon team. A battle to build a membership. Again, when people are being sent out at a high rate. A battle to help membership learn how to give generously and to take ownership of their church in service. A battle to keep unity inside the membership. And always a battle to stay focused on the gospel while fighting all those other lesser battles. And the battle has been fought in large part alongside our spiritual kids. People have come here, they've heard the gospel, they profess their faith in Christ, they've been baptized here, established here as disciples. These, these folks have, have taken up the gospel sword to fight in the battle. I got this kind of bittersweet text on Friday. I had sent out my resignation letter. I get this text from Michael Daling. Mike Daling was a UMass student here. He was part of boot camp and helped train a lot of guys in boot camp. And so he, he texts me. He's like, hey, Robert, we're closing on a house next week in Belchertown. We're coming back to Western Mass so that we can serve in Mercy House and be a part. And I, and I was like, oh, I hate to send this text to him, right? And I'm like, Mike, I'm so glad you're moving here. I'm so excited about you and Becky and your family. I won't let you know that I resigned today and you're going to be serving here, but you're not going to be serving with me. And his text back to me was, you know what? He's like, the Holy Spirit was already preparing me for that in prayer. <laughs> it's because he's a warrior He's a warrior, man. He was formed here, and he was sent out like an arrow. Like his first day at work in Central Mass, he calls me up, and he's like, Pastor Rob, you won't, you won't believe what just happened. I, I, I put my stuff down in my cubicle. On one side is a brand-new baby Christian and needs discipleship. On the other side is a person who's not a Christian yet, but they're interested. I was like, yes. <laughs> and how did he know that? Because he's having spiritual conversations with him on day one. He's a warrior. He's a warrior. And so this battle is not, is not being fought alone. It's being fought by many, many others who are taking up the gospel sword in the power of the Spirit. And every battle has glory. It has 
glory. This Psalm 127, there, there's a glory in this, right? It's like, I will not be put to shame at the gate, right? It, it's not doom and gloom. Oh, no, there's enemies. They're, they're shooting at me. We're shooting back at them. It's, mm-mm, no, victory will not be put to shame at the gate. So we've had the, the glory of seeing those resources come in at such opportune times. And we bought this building. We zeroed out every account. Winter came, oil went up to over $4 a barrel, heating oil. And literally, our heating bill was $25,000, and we had no way to pay it. And somebody that was a parent of a college student came into a service, had no idea we had the need, put a $25,000 check in the offering basket, and Cindy's back there counting the money, and she's like, come here, come here, come here, come, 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 look, look. I'm like, what, what, what is it? Big check, come here, look at it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, a thousand bucks maybe, this will be amazing. It'll get us down to like 24,000. And she's like, it's the full amount. And she was doing books and she knew exactly what the Lord was up to. Right? There's a glory in that. Yes, it's a battle, but it's a glory in that. The glory of seeing these campuses reached. Like when we, we just did baptisms out at Puffer's Pond, we had four of the five colleges that were represented in the, that group. Such a glory. The glory of seeing the initial group of, of college students that became the, the core of this church that grew to, to over 400 in attendance on Sundays. The glory of seeing sleepy Christians wake up when they walk into a place that's alive. The glory of seeing lay leaders develop into shepherds and pastors who serve Christ in His church. The glory of seeing this building transformed from white pews and pink walls and red carpet to being a useful tool for ministry on so many levels. The glory of seeing kids' ministry grow from just my kids to actually growing to over 70 and still growing. The glory of seeing a staff built largely from just students who came to faith and were interns and were then staff and are now fully formed staff members. The glory of a membership that has grown to over a hundred, even though so many people are sent out on a regular basis. And the glory of the ongoing appreciation and commitment to the gospel in this place. It's not just something I'm committed to. It's something this church is committed to. That is the greatest glory of this place. It makes me so happy as a pastor to see that in the lives of so many in this church. It has been a battle, but it has been a glorious battle. And again, as I said before, I've counted it a great privilege, the greatest privilege, except for being married to my wife, who is a stronger soldier than I am, because most of her battle was behind the scenes. And so being married to her and having Corey Cooper and Kayla who are soldiers in their own right. <laughs> this has been the family business, guys. <laughs> and we have poured out for this place, and it has been a battle, and it has been glorious for us and our family. Now, in a few weeks, I'll be relieved of duty. But I'm not going to stop fighting the battle. I love God. I love the gospel more than I ever have. I, I've been a Christian over 30 years, 
And that gospel fires me up more than it ever has. I love my wife more than I ever have. Our marriage is steadfast by God's grace. So as you see, uh, you know, oh, resignation. You, know, it, it, you see these in the, in the culture, and it's like, oh, something must be really amiss, you know, uh, going on. It's a scandal. It's something. It, this is a pretty boring resignation. Wow, the pastor's leaving. He loves God more than he ever has. He loves the gospel more than he ever has. He loves his wife more than he ever has, and now he's transitioning out. That's not going to make any headlines, but it's making headlines in heaven. <laughs> it's a glory. It's a glory. Now, anytime a, a pastor transitions out, it, there is an a, a opportunity and a challenge simultaneously. And so I want to encourage you to keep building in, as a co-laborer with God as we leave this place and you Continue in the battle. I'm going to give you five ways, quick ways, to continue to build this house. Five ways to continue to build this house. One is pray. Pray. This is one of the most important ways that we co-labor with God, is we pray. We pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. There's something about our prayers that God responds to, and He brings His rule and reign in answer to those prayers. If you have not prayed for Mercy House, or you have not prayed for Mercy House much, this week would be the week. Start praying now. And those of you who have prayed for us, and you have prayed for this ministry, keep praying. This is such an important part of how we co-labor with God in the building unprotecting of this house. Um, number two, serve. Serve. This is not a time to say, oh, someone else will do it. I'm too busy. I don't have time. I'm too tired. D don't do that. This is not the time. Get, grab the grace of God that gives you the strength that you need and engage in, in some way. We all got different schedules. We have different availability. I get that. But this is a time to lean in. Lean in and serving in the church. Number three, give. Give generously. A, a, a big part of, of my legacy has been fundraising. And a lot of that fundraising is attached to me. And I know that. It's partly what has kept me from transitioning out because I, I don't want to leave you in the lurch, but you are not in the lurch. The Lord has been so faithful, and in particular, in, He's been faithful during COVID. So, so, so hear that from God. Like, I got you, Mercy House. So I don't know what, what's going to happen. Maybe more stuff from outside is going to come in. I, I don't know. But know that whatever happens, that the Lord is going to provide. But it is really important that you give, and you give generously. And then fourthly, follow your leaders. Follow your leaders. You've got some great elders. They love God. They love the gospel. They love the mission. You've got great staff. Right? And it doesn't mean there's not honest conversations and opinion sharing. But when you get down to it and decisions have been made, follow your leaders. That's going to be so important going forward. Follow your leaders. And then fifthly, keep building on the foundation 
of the gospel. You switch foundations, this place going down. You, you move to pragmatism or emotionalism or you name it, fill in the blank. I don't care what it is. If, if it's something else besides the gospel, this place is going down. There's no way that this place was ever established in this context with this many challenges if it wasn't that we were built on the rock. When Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, I think he was thinking of Amherst. We, we have planted a church at the gates of hell. This, this place is so anti-God. The ideologies in this place are so anti-God. And, and Jesus is like, you know what? I'm going to plant a church in the middle of that. And he did it not out of some cool innovation or some, some amazing you know, leadership. He did it because it was built on the gospel. And he promised, I will build my church when you put it on the right foundation. And so we're reminded of this foundation every time we come to this table. That's partly why Jesus instituted this for the church. The warrior Jesus. He's standing there that Thursday night with his disciples. They are some crooked arrows, let me tell you. <laughs> they are a mess. And Jesus knows the only way that they're going to be made into straight arrows and sent out into the battle is if he goes to the cross and he dies for their sin. And he looks them in the eye and he takes the bread, he breaks it, and after he blessed it, he gave it to them saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed it, he gave it to them saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. This warrior Jesus was going to shed his blood for his church. He was going to give his life for his church, knowing that by the grace that would come from that cross, these crooked arrows would not only be forgiven of their crookedness, but they would be transformed into straight arrows and sent out into the battle. And I'm telling you, those crooked arrows that night, by the grace of God, a few weeks later, we're transformed by the gospel and the power of the Spirit and sent out to change the world. We're here in part because those arrows went out and we heard the gospel. That is the foundation, the work of Christ at the cross. Do not forget that. Do not forget that. May the Lord build this house and protect this house and do so in co-laborship with you. And may it not be in vain because it's built on the foundation of the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, I am so grateful for these who have labored alongside me and Melanie, have loved you and loved your gospel and have been willing to sacrifice and lay down their lives for the gospel mission. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would ignite that even more. That it would grow the disciples that make up this congregation. That it would equip the leaders in even greater ways in the power of your Spirit through your Word. And that this place would continue both to build up 
in, in membership that are permanent residents, but it would also grow in its impact of sending out many to the nations who are arrows in the hands of warrior Jesus. And so will you bless this bread, bless this cup. Thank you for the reminder of the foundation that we are on as a church. May this church never forget it. And I pray that I too, Lord, would be reminded again and again and that my house would continue to be built on the rock, on the gospel, and that my mission and Melanie's mission would continue to be forming arrows, sending them out into the battle. And we pray all of this in Warrior Jesus' name. Amen.